0: Welcome to Wise Women Speak with Linda Pritcher and Lana Bastianuti, where we give voice to the wisdom in women.
1: Hello, Lana. Hi, Linda. We're here today with uh, Heidi O'Donnell Eastman. Heidi's been an educator for 23 years. Her tenure in education includes instructional leadership and curriculum design. Her award-winning curriculum and courses have been recognized and taught internationally. She is the creator of the Port to Port program. Port to Port uses place-based experiential learning to uncover the implications of the natural and human resources and ideas which flow into and out of ports. In 2015, she was nominated National History Teacher of the Year by Gilder Lerman Institute of History in New York City. Heidi is fluent in French and considers herself bicultural. She co founded the French American School of Rhode Island, a bilingual school grades pre K to eighth. Last and not least, Heidi is an artist and a painter. Her work is inspired by the places she travels as well as the seacoast where she lives with her architect husband in Westport Point, Massachusetts. Together, they founded Belle Maison Westport and O'Donnell Eastman Design. We're really happy to have you here today. Thank you. So one of the things that's really important to us at Wise Women Speak is the way women navigate and have navigated their lives. And um, thinking about you and and looking at your your history, um, I'd like to dial us back to the time when you were in Provincetown growing up and how you navigated from that point forward. Did you know what you might eventually be doing? Did you have some early direction, something that just really came alive for you as a child?
2: No, I absolutely did not know what direction I was going in, but I uh, was very drawn to the sea. Um, I grew up, you know, as you said, in Provincetown on Cape Cod, and it was really a magical place, at a magical time. Um, one of my earliest memories is when I was a very, very young child, I think maybe three years old or, or so, and I was at the water's edge. It was a beautiful evening, and I remember looking out at the water, and it was you know, sparkling like a, a series of diamonds and my little nightgown was getting wet the waves were lapping in and out and just this uh, sense of of wonder and uh and beauty and being intrigued by the waves you know hitting the shore and then going out and coming in again so i have um been drawn to this always and i have um been very interested in navigation without really knowing it. You know, it took me until recently to realize, yes, there is a a common thread in all of this.
1: Yeah, that's such a magical description of you and the tide and the stars. I love that.
0: Tell us about, you mentioned that it was sort of a magical time and a magical childhood.
2: Why? It was magical because it was very free. Um, the town, you know, it's very different now. It's much more, you know, populated. Um, Growing up in the 60s and 70s, um, riding our bikes through town, beachcombing on the beach, uh, you know, hanging out with our friends, um, very easygoing. Um, Everyone knew each other. So that was, uh, you know, it's really fun. And very much surrounded by a lot of beauty artists. It's, of course, known for its, uh, you know, being, you know, one of America's or the oldest art co- art colony in the United States, um, surrounded by all kinds of artists. And they were in my backyard, they were across the street. You know, so my mother you know, was an artist. So it was um, because of the beauty and the natural light that these people were drawn there. Did you start painting or drawing at an early age and did you
1: see that as something that you thought you would always do did it seem like that that important to you or not
2: i wasn't thinking about the future it was it was something i was always doing i was always drawing and doodling and um my mother instilled this in us as well she bought us all easels um all six of us and would have us out drawing or painting in the yard. Um, and like I said, we were surrounded by people who were in the arts. So this was very much a part of who I was, very yeah. much. I also um, remember spending a lot of time at the studio shop, which is this fantastic uh, art supply store in Provincetown. I was just intrigued by everything in there, the paints and the, the brushes and all the materials that artists use. And I love the smell and the look of it. And it was just a place that I always wanted to be.
0: I'm kind of fascinated by your mother a little bit. And, and we did talk before we, we got on for the podcast, so I know a little bit about her. But can you tell us a little bit about what she valued in life and how she maybe showed that to you?
2: She really valued um, beauty, and she um, loved history, a tremendous, you know, she loved it tremendously, and she exposed us to that at an early age. Uh, in fact, dinner table um, time was like a history lesson, <laughs> whether we liked <laughs> it or not. From art
1: class to history lesson.
2: And that definitely, you know, was rubbed off. Um she was a great entertainer. She um, had amazing style, um, really fantastic style. And uh, so this is something she, you know, gave to us. And when I think about it, I always think about her lesson of making life beautiful. You don't need a lot, but uh, some fresh flowers, a good scrubbing, a, you know, a can of paint, and you can transform any space. And I really believe that. Yeah. That's the making
1: uh, something out of nothing or out of very little. It's such an important thing that people people feel like they have to have a lot already going for them before they can do something else new. And yet, from the earliest, simplest stages, from nothing, you can create something and something of beauty and meaning to people.
2: Something delicious as well. Yes, and something delicious. (laughs) <laughs> she uh, she would tell the story of Stone Soup, the woman in the town center, you know, with a big pot boiling water, and people would come by and say, "What are you making?" Well, I'm making some delicious soup, and and you know, so my mother told the story to us endlessly. And someone said, and she said, "Well, it would be much better if you would add a carrot. It would be so much more delicious." And of course, someone dropped in a carrot, and then in an onion and a piece of beef or whatever. And so we heard the story endlessly growing up, but it really is a metaphor for life. You yeah. Know? Um, starting with nothing and adding your experiences, uh, the people you meet, the places you go, and you've created something by the end of yeah. the story when
0: my children were little, I used to read them a book called Something from Nothing. And it was a charming little book about this little boy whose who grandfather made him a jacket. And then as he grew, the, the grandfather would make something new. So it evolved into a vest, and then it evolved into a scarf, and then it ended up being a button. But all the scraps from everything he made each time would fall through the cracks of the floor and the little mice would take these scraps and they would create something. And as you say, it is a metaphor for life we we often get stuck in our lives thinking you know it has to be ready made or something has to be presented to us as if well that's what I'm going to do it's already a uh, you know a a placeholder for me when in fact most of the time well actually all the time we create our lives from nothing they evolve they are it's the creative process that that um, makes a life And it's going on in everyone,
1: even if they don't recognize it. And for you, clearly you recognized it at at an early age. So Heidi, you you eventually became a teacher, but something tells me that there was some space in there where you did some other things. So how did you get there? How did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Or did
2: you just fall into it? I definitely did not know that I wanted to be a teacher. It didn't come till... I was in my early 20s when I had done a significant amount of traveling uh, and had been living in Paris, studying art and art history, and I had the opportunity to venture out on weekends, for many weekends actually, out to the west coast of France, to Brittany, which is an area that I fell madly in love with, the, the people and the culture and the beauty and, of course, the... Uh, you know, legacy of all of, of many great um, impressionist painters and other painters yeah. that have uh, adventured out there. So I was intrigued by that, and I started to think about it, and I started to think about what I would be doing after after I finished, you know, college. And I had this idea of, you know, uh, starting an art school in the west of France, in Brittany. And I finished my degree. Remember telling friends that I, you know, I think I have this idea that I would love to, maybe go out to Brittany and start a little art colony or an art school, and you know, people looked at me like, right, you know, come on, I don't, I don't see this really happening, and you know, we have a lot of naysayers in our life, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. And well, I did not go out to Brittany and start a school, but I did eventually um, co-found a school. That was in my 30s um, in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, called the French-American School of Rhode Island. I had two partners, and it was quite a bit of fun, and it's right. still going strong.
1: Very successful endeavor. So not exactly as you planned, and yet um, on thematically in the same area. You created a school. Something must have been going on in you, that desire to create an educational Opportunity for people and to be part of a community of people learning?
2: Very much so. Um, by that time, I had my first child, and I knew that I would be very involved in his education in one way or another. I knew that I wanted to expose him to language, foreign language, and travel and the arts and everything, really M- mathematics, science, etc. And so this um you know this opportunity you know, presented itself and a couple of us got together and we started with nothing slowly but surely it, it it actually happened so do you know what i love i love that
0: you know you had the naysayers that said no the Brittany thing that's you know that's never going to happen um and you you kept going and something new evolved it, it wasn't in Brittany, but you created this American French school. Um, some people in your shoes would have said, oh, I failed. You know, I didn't do my dream. Did that ever happen to you or did you just
2: move through it? Um, honestly, no. I never felt disappointment. I think I was just on to the next thing. Mm. Um, I worked uh, in New York City for a number of years. I actually worked in the wine business for a champagne company mm. and traveled between New York and, and France. I worked uh, for Champagne Veuve Clicquot mm. in the 80s, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I went on to... Um, Yes, moved to, you know, back to New England, and that's when I got involved in the French American school. And today you
1: are teaching in New Bedford at a charter school, and you've created a port to port program. um, A very, and we were talking about this before um, we started recording about what a remarkable journey you've had with that. So if you um, just tell us a little bit about. The um, the way you started that. How did this all come about?
2: I'd always been very interested in port port cities, and what flows into a port, uh, people, things, and ideas, and what flows out of a port. Um, going back to that story of me in Provincetown as as a very very young child, and and seeing the water come in and out, and people come in and out. So I had the opportunity about. Uh, seven or eight years ago, um, working in downtown New Bedford, which is really a fantastic place, uh, amazing history, the Whaling Museum, uh, the old textile factories, the beautiful architecture, and just just a place that really speaks to me. And I had the opportunity to um, be one of the sort of teachers who would move to this new campus downtown, and someone had asked me to maybe consider teaching the history of New Bedford, and and I was intrigued, but I said, you know, I'm really not the best person to do that. There are, like, amazing historians that know so much more about New Bedford, but I do know a lot about world history and port history, and I could develop something. And so it started organically, and it's grown to something international, and we use um, my classroom at the Global Learning Charter Public School in New Bedford as really a laboratory um, and a case study for the work that's done um, in that city and then in other places around the world. That's
1: all from an insightful moment, it sounds like, when um, you were offered this opportunity and you could see that really what you knew about was a little bit different, but if you put those two things together, you would have one third thing that could potentially be more dynamic. And obviously, the school was willing to support you in that, which is remarkable in itself.
2: Yes, and you know, I really want to give a shout out to the executive director, uh, Steve Furtado, who was s- extremely supportive. You know, from the moment I broached this idea and um it's been it's been a really interesting experience because i've you know developed so many partnerships in the city of new bedford um i work with fishermen i work with maritime lawyers i work with architects um people that run the harbor tours um just you know the fin you know, whale museum the New Bedford Public Library. Uh, so it's it's been um, it's been wonderful because it's such a small city, but very diverse and and amazing history. And people there are 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 very um, open minded, and that speaks a lot to me. Mm. Yeah, I want to ask about
0: opportunity. I, I, I'm sort of picking up certain words like magic and opportunity. Have you always said yes to opportunities? Because it sounds like your life has it hasn't moved linearly as most yeah. people think life works yeah. it it it's gone all over the place and you've you've moved with it and created yeah. you know something from nothing in every it's created her own route yeah. yeah so not a straight line. How do you know when to say yes to opportunity?
2: It's really interesting that you ask that lana um i I believe that I have very often said yes to opportunity. Not always. I remember when I was in graduate school and working on my thesis, which is a geography uh, and history work, and I was going to focus on the area of Bordeaux in France. And I had a you know, professor that you know who recommended, you know, Champagne, you know, the area of Champagne. And I thought about it and I, you know, decided to go with this. And because of me doing my thesis on the champagne industry and the whole, um, you know, the demographics, the geography, of course, the winemaking, et cetera, um, led me to my career in the wine business before I got into education. So, yes, opportunity. It's interesting that you mentioned yeah. that.
1: Yeah. And navigating, being able to kind of find your find your own route. Um, through being aware of what opportunities show up and listening to something within to say, yes, I'll take that.
2: Linda, you mentioned being aware and saying, yes, I'll take that. And I think um, that it's important to mention this skill that I've developed and I hope that my students will develop, which is the skill of observation. And it's where this journal journal keeping um, Skill comes into play. Uh, it's something that my mother really drilled into us as, as, a, as children that we should record our days, record our weeks. And I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the idea of it. I tended to doodle or draw, but. Um,
1: that was your idea of journaling, right? That was yeah. my
2: idea of journaling. And right. I still include a lot of doodling and drawing and sketching in my journals. But I really, when I left high school and uh, spent a year in Europe, which, you know, today would be called your gap year, uh, I packed a couple of journals. My mother said, you know, you've got to record this. So I did, and I kind of fell in love with it. Um, And so I have, you know, many, many old journals, you know, sitting about and many new ones as well, which are filled with, you know, filled with my drawings or um, observations of the day, and so when I became a history, you know, a teacher of history, I was intrigued by those people in history, those great people who made a difference in the world, like some of the scientific revolutionaries. I'm thinking Galileo. I'm thinking Newton, Copernicus, and how they got to. Where they were to leave an incredible um, mark, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the world, and it's really through observation, you know, they practice this skill of observing their surroundings, observing the moon, you know, observing the seasons, observing how an apple falls from a tree, and recording those observations. And then doing it again and again and over and over again, that practice element. And so as a teacher, I am always curious how students learn and how students get to where they really know something, how they go from asking the question, where am I going? And then how am I going to get there? And what will we be able to do or what will I be able to do when we get there? Using the tool of the journal um, has become invaluable. I find that my older students really grasp onto this. My students at university level, graduate level, high school level, they're still in the process of you know, figuring this out and not quite sure how this tool will really help them. But it's really a tool that all disciplines use, artists and scientists yeah. and mathematicians and architects and mm-hmm. chefs. You know, they're you know they it, it, it's that process of you know it's refinement. you make a recipe, I see you know what is it missing? okay, add a pinch of this, or it's too much yeah. of this it's but we need to record that in order to see the progress so um it's something that did not come easily to me and that I've really grown to love, and I've grown to see that this is a tool that I hope my students will. Take, you know, from my course and bring to whatever so place you, they navigate to. So your students are um,
1: are learning about the the flow of ideas and people in part through the journaling that they do, the observation, the questions you pose. Um, You've taken your uh, your program outside of the United States to other ports and places around the world, and um, how has that been? How has that been received? Um, what have you been doing in these far flung places?
2: It has been um, a sort of ongoing journey, and tremendous. It's it's brought me you know a tremendous amount of insight into the cultures and people, the places that I visit. Um, I always feel like I get more from my students than they get me. You know, from yeah. me. Uh, I started first in France, in Marseille, in Corsica, and then I moved to um, Saint Gallen, Switzerland. Saint Gallen is a very beautiful city where Switzerland and Germany um, and Austria meet. And I was invited by the Swiss government to to teach there and teach uh, at a school for teachers and really um, expose them to place-based learning and experiential learning and port-to-port. And from that point, I've met, um, you know, those students have gone on to have their own programs and continue to connect with me. And then other students that I've had, I went from Switzerland to Ireland, Dublin, Donegal, to Estonia, which is really quite a fascinating place. Um, Tallinn and, and Tartu, the University of Tartu, and Glasgow, uh, University of Glasgow in Scotland. So it's been um, it's been really quite incredible because I'm able to connect with my students in Massachusetts while I'm out in the field. Um, so we do video chat, Skype or whatever and it's really fun for them to see what I'm doing and to meet the students that I work with You know, while I'm abroad. Um, it's also um, been interesting to see other things that have developed from that experience. For example, uh, there's a student that I had in St. Gallen who is from Fribourg uh, Switzerland and her name is Natalie, and she has gone on to uh, you know, be an educator, and she also works in Uganda. And she has created a program where she is rebuilding a school in Uganda, and she and I have connected, and now I have a student at the Global Learning Charter Public School in New Bedford who has taken on this project and is going to really do some um public awareness about this project, and um, so it's quite interesting, and that's really a port-to-port story. It's really the the people, the ideas, and the things flowing in and out of a place and the implications, so it's like, you know, the uh, the drop in the water and see how far the ripple spreads.
1: Yeah, that connections and the flow
0: of ideas... I want um, to know how these opportunities are coming about for the government of Switzerland to say, "Hey, Heidi, could you just come
2: on over and how is this coming about well, lana, it's really it was an opportunity that presented itself, and i it was you know somewhat of a competition, and I applied, and okay. they, they chose me and, so you said yes, and I said yes, yeah. and then Heidi says yes. <laughs> And since then, it's, it's been really word of mouth. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I, I have a few, well, a number of actually places lined up that are through people that have either been part of the program, my program, or known someone and, and you know, put me in touch with someone. And so it's grown organically, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: And so your plans are the, for the future with Port to Port are just to continue traveling navigating expanding the program
2: i believe so i mean i I, you know who knows where the road will will take me right um at this point it's um it's a tremendous amount of fun one of the things i really love about going to a new place to be uncovered you know being place-based learning is the research. I really enjoy that aspect of it. I I do a tremendous amount of research. Um, Right now, I'm researching the Scottish Enlightenment. I'll be working in Glasgow again this summer, um, co-creating a program for international students on the Scottish Enlightenment, and there'll be a science component, an arts component, history component, and... Such so I'm really um, enjoying that aspect. I love you know the the research and uh, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, I enjoy the colleagues there very much, and um, they're looking to start their program in summer of 2019.
0: Ah. That's wonderful. That's phenomenal, and I love Scotland. It's such a beautiful country, and shout-out to Outlander (laughs) fans out there. It's a fabulous show if you haven't seen it.
2: Scotland is so beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. very beautiful. I I can't believe that I just went for the first time in January, and and I'm very excited to be returning.
1: Yeah, you get to spend time this summer.
2: So, Heidi,
1: um, your Port to Port program... Um, has no doubt had an influence in other areas of your life. And I know you, um, you work as an artist side-by-side side with the teaching that you do. You started an um, O'Donnell Eastman design uh, with your husband. Um, and uh, you also have Belle Maison Westport. So how did the work that you're doing with Port to Port, how's that influenced um, your art uh, in the last few years, perhaps, and actually, I'm going to back up a little bit because no doubt your art has influenced port to port as well, so it's reciprocal.
2: As an artist, I kind of have two styles. I have a kind of quick, fun, playful, gestural style, which is absolutely fun for me to, to you know to do and to practice and to make. Um, I have another style which is more academic and more intellectual, and it's more of a challenge. And I also really enjoy that because that's an exercise of the mind and takes a lot more time. I, you know, thinking of a painting that I worked on. Um, it was a beautiful, freezing cold morning. The fog was frozen. Walking along the beach in Westport, and the sea and the sky and the dune and the beach were more or less the same color with very little um variation, but I was just so struck by this sort of eerie beauty, and I wanted to capture that you know and and it was actually quite difficult, even though you know at first you look at it in this very little color range. But it's something I worked on for many months, and and I enjoyed greatly. Um, So it's a process, and sometimes it's light and airy and fun, and sometimes it's long and and hard and deep. And
1: sometimes it seems like you're just a problem solver, right? Sometimes. In trying to get it right the way that you envision it to be.
2: Sometimes. so. The port-to-port, you know, the travel, like I said, I have these journals that I keep and they're really records of my day. They're not so much my inner thoughts. They're really what I've seen, what I've heard, you know, what what I like or what intrigues me or what I'm curious about and with my little sketches. And I encourage my students to do the same thing. And I also teach my students to use watercolors, give them some basic drawing lessons, and there is a tremendous amount of resistance by some students because they feel like innately like they don't have talent and i said no it's really not about talent it's a skill and you have to develop the skill and you practice the skill and you will get better so that you know resistance eventually fades away most of the time not always but um Because it is important to have that visual uh, record as well as the written word. Yeah,
1: it helps them to be better observers, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it works that way as well.
0: It's funny how we, as we get older, we convince ourselves that we have no talent in this area or that area. When, as you say, you know... Some of this is just a developed skill. But if you ask any kid, you know, if they can draw, little kid, they inevitably say, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they don't question it. But we, we start, as we get older, start to talk ourselves out of, oh, well, no, I can't do that. So limit ourselves in terms of what we can do. And I love the fact that you do photography as well, because I, I was going to ask, like, it's interesting how you're more drawn to the painting than some somebody who is drawn to photography, but as you 've said, you do both um, kud- yeah. kudos <laughs> yeah it 's
2: kind of another way to look at the world, yeah right? through a different lens, capturing it differently yeah. absolutely i 'm fascinated by photography and film in general um but i i love i love you know photography i love that it's a that it's science and that it's technology and art in the merging of those three things um you mentioned the word talent and it's interesting because i'm not terribly fond of the word talent Mm -hmm. I think it's overused. I think people think they either have talent or don't have talent yep. but in many things, in cooking and in, in gardening and in, in public speaking and yeah. such. And so much of what I've found uh, as a woman, you know, as maturing is that it's really practice. It's deciding to do something and just doing it and doing it over and over again. And you get better, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes. And there is a desire to do it. There is yes. a desire. And uh, you get better. And, you know, with your writing, with your drawing, with your cooking, uh, trial and error, lots of mistakes, lots and lots of mistakes. We have to trust and decide that we're going to stick with something, right? there, It's very much you make a decision. And if you stick with it, generally speaking, the results can be pretty... Yeah. Amazing. So today you are are
1: working as a doing interior work alongside your husband. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: I love uh, design and interiors and I love textiles. I love color. And so it's really a, a delight for me to put a space together, a workspace, a home space. Um, and it brings me incredible joy. And it's also very relaxing. It's something yeah. when I feel like I need to relax, I, I like to do that. I like to, um, you know, get into, you know, whether it's just a little, you know, tablescape or, you know, whatever. So it, it's and it goes back to beauty and surrounding yourself mm-hmm. in a beautiful environment, I, I find it very important. I, I, you know, I've literally rejected things because the space was just, I couldn't be in it, I couldn't work in it, I couldn't live in it, I couldn't yeah. be around it. Um, and it. And I'm not in any way talking about opulent beauty, I'm talking about sometimes just you know very simple beauty. Yeah. It's really, really fun to work with people and see a space transformed uh, for them. I see this as sort of circular
0: um, you know we we started talking in the beginning of our conversation about magic and, and a magical period of time, and it seems like magic, wonder, and beauty have infused your pathway, your journey in life throughout and it's been a pull for you, not a push it's just been a pull, and you've moved organically throughout your life with these sort of navigational yeah, navigation. markers, yeah. you know, and, and it's just incredible. And I think another really beautiful thing that's sort of informed your life has been wonder, uh, you know, that curiosity and open-mindedness that you, you've talked about or referenced. And uh, for some reason, I keep getting that image. I'm not sure if you saw the movie Agora. Did you ever see that movie? That's a beautiful movie. Rachel Weiss. Uh, and she was i'm gonna get this all wrong. She lived in Alexandria back when the Romans were still in charge, but it was the end of of that period of time where the Roman Empire was collapsing and she was she was a teacher of uh philosophy and mathematics and the constellations and and you could see the wonder in her eyes about wondering, you know well you know how how does this the whole the planet Planetary system work—you could see that in her life, and I, I don't know. It just, for some reason, that image keeps coming to me as you're talking.
2: Wonder is something that you no, know, I hold dear to me. I, I, when I do travel, or when I'm at home, you know, when I'm at the beach, I, I um, love the tactile senses and and. I, you know, I tell my students, and sometimes they joke, and, and I say, you know, when I go off somewhere, I love to touch the building. Like, okay, I want to touch this building that Napoleon was in. I want to touch this building that, you know, some great artist um, lived in or worked in. You know, I, I need to actually touch it. It's seeing it isn't enough. And when I travel too, I I always try to imagine what
0: took place before, like the historical people that were there and breathed and lived and moved around in that room. It's just, it fills me up somehow. I'll be in Scotland too this summer, by the way. (laughs) Okay. You'll
1: have to meet up.
2: (laughs) You'll have to have a wee dram. Yes. Yes.
1: Heidi, it's been wonderful having you with us. Thank you very much for spending your time with us at Wise Women Speak. Um, If... um, any of our listeners would like to be in touch with Heidi you can reach her at H Eastman at port It's
2: been a pleasure having you thank you it's been a it's been my pleasure Thank you Linda and thank you Lana this has been wise women speak
1: bye for now bye-bye you've been listening to Wise women' speak. If you'd like to hear more, please go to wisewomenspeakpodcast.com or find us on iTunes.